Right thinking pays large dividends. Hold on to that thought. Right thinking pays large dividends. I'll give you an example. You saw when I was lighting the candle up here that I, uh, it blew out because the air blows from that side. When I came to this side, I could light the candle because my lie itself was uh, blocking all that wind <laughs> from the east. <laughs> and I bet it, the candle got lit. Right thinking pays large dividends. Hold on to that. <laughs> Today is about new thought poet, Ella Wheeler Wilcox, one of our ancestors of new thought. And she, she did a little differently th than others, and, and she was not sick, and had a healing she, that wasn't her thing. But she was a great supporter of New Thought and a great teacher of New Thought through her poetry, through her essays. Now, here's something I think is interesting. She was born in Wisconsin. That's not the interesting part. But after her marriage, she moved to Brantford, Connecticut, where she lived the rest of her life. Yeah, I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> oh, I feel connected all of a sudden. <laughs> She was not a healer so much as an influencer, is, is what I call it, through her poetry, her essays and stuff. She was a student of Emma Curtis Hopkins. I don't know if she was ordained or not, but I do know she studied with Emma Curtis Hopkins, grandmother of New Thought, as most of our ancestors did. They studied with uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins. They were ordained through Emma Curtis <laughs> Hopkins and her metaphysical college in the Midwest, and she... Uh, and they uh, did think she never ran a church, but she was the editor of New Thought magazine, as well as a contributing writer. She praised New Thought to her readership. Here's a poem for her. So many gods, so many creeds, so many paths that wind and wind, while just the art of being kind is all the sad world needs. It's so simple, isn't it? Just the art of being kind is what the world needs. Because so many of us have forgotten to be kind, starting with the mirror in the morning. Some of us uh, aren't kind before we even get to the mirror. And then we get to the mirror and we're flat out unkind. We get in the shower. We stay unkind, either to ourselves or we start having arguments with people who probably aren't in the shower with us. <laughs> oh no, I don't live with you. I don't know. I haven't been in your shower with you. <laughs> Why, you'll be embarrassed. Out of it. <laughs> Early in their married life, Robert and Ella Wheeler Wilcox promised each other that whoever died first would return and communicate with the other. And he died in 1916. She was here till 1919. And over, after 30 years of marriage, she was overcome with grief and she became even more intense as week after week went without any message from him, as he promised. It was at this time that she went to California to see the, uh, an astrologer, Max Heindel. Still seeking help in her sorrow, still unable to understand why she had no word from Robert. And she wrote of this meeting, and this is, this is the point of this, uh, you know, a correction of thought. A correction of thought pays big dividends. 
or right thinking. But uh, she said, he made very clear to me the effect of intense grief. Mr. Heidel assured me that I would come in touch with the spirit of my husband when I learned to control my sorrow. I replied that it seemed strange to me that an omnipotent God could not send a flash of his light into a suffering soul to bring its conviction when most needed. <sighs> Did you ever stand beside a clear pool of water, he, Mr. Mr. Heindel asked, and see the trees and skies repeated therein? And did you ever cast a stone into that pool and see it clouded and turmoiled, so it gave no reflection? Yet the skies and trees were waiting above to be reflected when the waters grew calm. So God and your husband's spirit wait to show themselves to you when the turbulence of sorrow is quieted. Several months later, she composed a little mantra, or a affirmative prayer, which she said over and over, I am the living witness. The dead live, and they speak through us and to us. And I am the voice that gives the glorious truth to the suffering world. I am ready God, I am ready Christ, I am ready Robert. And she became, and every day she had to work at quieting. And the quieting is coming into acceptance of your source. That your source actually is your source. And not your servant to do your bidding. And not your perpetrator for why you hurt or have been abused or why the world or something is holding out on you. When we get still, we can know. And many of us, maybe all of us, have had times we could not get still. It was just impossible to get still. Our mind was racing so much about what was wrong and why was God holding out on us and why were our adults so mean and holding out on us? And why is the weather holding out on us? And why is, you know, why does this floor keep tripping me? Because every time I walk across it, I trip. Must be the floor. Why, 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 why does my body betray me? Why does, and we just, we spend all our time thinking about what is wrong and whoever or whatever is holding out on us. And I love this though. The skies and the trees were waiting above to be reflected when the waters grew calm. You know, if I throw, throw a big brick in the lake, it does not reflect the sky and the trees around because it's not calm. And so for us, it is a great act of kindness to become willing to be still and know. It doesn't say throw another pebble or brick into the water. It says be still and know. Peace will be yours when you get still and know, capital N-O-W. Be still and know. When you are kind enough to yourself, 
to be still and know. Myrtle Fillmore did that. We're going to talk about Myrtle Fillmore next week, actually. But still, she had to get still to hear, I'm a child of God, therefore I do not inherit sickness. Others, these uh, new thoughts, writers and teachers and healers and ministers, they all had to get still to have their healing. When I had my ankle healing, I just got still for a moment, really. And affirmed that Christ in me is awake now. The ripple went through my body. My ankle healed. I wasn't looking for a healing of an ankle. I was looking to get still. All I wanted from that meditation, Christ in me is awake now. And uh, I somehow aligned. Wasn't even trying to align, just I was looking to be. And I believe that statement would make a difference for me. Have you found your statement? Have you found your statement that leads you into a transforming prayer, a transforming meditative experience. So I, I looked for it because I didn't want to be stuck with somebody else's statement that didn't work. For me, when I, my, the church I grew up in, it was in, in, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. That didn't help me. Didn't do a thing for me because I didn't believe that. Years ago, we taught, we taught a class here, Sunday morning Sunday school for adults. And it was called the, based on a book called The Quest, written by Mar Al, somebody in Mary Alice Jafala. And, I, uh, and, and there was someone from another country who used to come here. And, and I would talk about uh, Jesus, or quote Charles Fillmore about Jesus. And she would say, that doesn't do a thing for me. Where I come from, Jesus doesn't mean anything. So to say the words Jesus can move mountains, it's not for me. But what was funny is I used to refer to the Jafalas. The Jafalas this, Jafalas this. She thought I was quoting some, some sooth from the mountains. The Jafalas came down and said, I said, no, it's a couple that go to teach a unit. They're a couple of unity ministers who wrote this book. But it sounded mystical and magical, the Jafalas say. And I'm just quoting the authors of the book. But she was going to have a better healing with the Jafalas than she was with the word Jesus. <laughs> you see, we make stuff up. We make up our God. We make up everything. And, and so to look at that, what is the kindest thing you can do for yourself? To, because it has to start with yourself. But a kind thing for yourself would never leave anybody out. It would never omit even the person I hate the most, or that I say, hate or fear, it's the same thing, the most. And why would I fear someone I hate? Because I'm afraid of what my thoughts will lead to, to hurt them or myself. That's why I say fear the most, same as hate. And it's a, and it's a but it's not kind. I was talking with someone yesterday, and I was saying, you know, they were struggling with something, and I said, well, it seems to me you need to forgive your parents. Now, nobody just forgives anyone. Nobody just, oh, I forgive you. Nobody does that. As I've said, forgiveness is an experience, and it's a tremendous act of kindness for oneself. But, and so many, I've said this to a lot of people, oh, I forgive them, I've let them go, but they still treat themselves horribly. And they still treat their body horribly and they're filled with sickness and dis-ease in their mind. 
And it's like, no, you have not forgiven. Not because you're stupid. I believe you'd do it in a second if you weren't worried about them getting away with it, with what they did. That was my holdout for years. Anyway, if I forgive these people, that means they get away with it. So, come on, I'll lead you into hell. <laughs> That's basically what we're doing. I'm willing to walk into hell first rather than forgive the people I don't like, the people I'm mad at, the people that I cannot let get away with what they did to me or someone I love. And we have to. We have to. Because we've got to be set free. And I heard that early on. Sean, you got to let them off the hook. Because God's not holding them on a hook. You are. God's not mad at those people. Well, God should be. And, you know, and, and uh, I didn't put this on video. It scares me. People like to play the Hitler card. Well, what about Hitler? Yeah, forgive him too. Give him over to God. Give him and all those people who did these horrendous things on earth to God. That Hitler stuff, that's been happening since the beginning of time. A complete disregard for humanity by other humans. It's been happening for so long and it's still happening. It's still happening in our world. How am I going to end that? How am I going to bring about peace on earth? Jesus said, I found a way, follow me. And his way was to forgive everybody. But again, it's not I forgive you. It's to relinquish the past to the past. We spend a lot of time trying to change the past or to keep the past from ever happening again, which is still trying to change the past. Spend a lot of time invested in changing the past. And therefore, we have, we're not for doing our forgiveness work. When I, and some of you have heard the story before, but it's worth repeating. It was, it was about a year or so, maybe after my mother died. And I went to see a psychic. And, at, and, my, and my dad came through. And in it, he kept asking me to forgive him. Now, at first I thought, so cool, my mother, my dad came through with this, this woman. By the end of the day, though, I was a little perturbed. I thought, with all these people, what these people did to me, and now they want something else. Mm. In death, they still want something from me. <laughs> and I went to a healer friend of mine. He was giving me a treatment. And I was telling him the story about that. And I said, but I know forgiveness is for me. So I'll just do it when I get around to it. <laughs> And he said, no, forgiveness is for your dad, too, when he needs it. You don't want to hold him back because of your resentments. You don't want to hold, and I thought, I, thought, I agreed immediately. I said, no, I don't. I don't need to hold him, from, he was long dead at this point, but hold him back for whatever the next part of his journey is anywhere. I don't want to hold any human being back, or any spiritual being back, because of my resentments. My hostility and my resentments aren't worth keeping someone from moving forward into light, moving forward into love, moving forward out of the, the human bondage of thought and stuff and moving forward into it. And I said, okay, you're right, I don't. 
So I left there that day and I began my journey of pursuing the experience of forgiveness. And I remember praying in the car and I said, God, I have no idea how to forgive my dad. But I know you do, whatever that means. I personified God there. I said, so I'm open to the experience of forgiveness for my dad. And for a year, I prayed that prayer. Every time I had a thought of resentment towards him, I prayed, God, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, but I'm open. Show me how to experience forgiveness for my dad. And then some of you have heard the story. I went on a uh, retreat, really convention, a conference with Edwin Gaines to the International New Thought Convention out in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I met my two half-brothers. My dad had had other children after, after he left us. And I met these two guys who were great. They're great. I'm going to marry one of them next year. <laughs> he and his next wife. Well, there's a few. I'm going to marry he and his next wife. And, uh, but I met these two guys who are younger than me, obviously. And I like them. And we look like each other. You can so tell that we are brothers. And I found out their life with my dad wasn't better than my life without him. But they told me where they had scattered his ashes up in Sedona. So I drove up to Sedona. I sat on a wall to the church on the rock there. And I sat on that wall. And I just got quiet. And suddenly I had an epiphany. And he became Jack instead of my father who left me. I didn't need him not to have left me. I didn't need anything about it with any regards to him to be different from my past. And I thought, this must be what forgiveness is. I gave way four. I gave way four. A new thought. A new experience. It took a year of prayer to give way four. I started the process a year before that. And then my path that I could not have planned a year before uh, opened up. And I, uh, I've never needed my dad to be different. Since then, I thought, isn't that the loveliest thing? I'm so grateful for that. I'd already done it with my mother before she left. And it was three years ago, 2019, I went home, Pennsylvania. And I thought, right, it's time to do it with my stepfather, my last stepfather. There's a few of those, too. And I, uh, I went to his grave. I found it. And I hadn't spoken to him since the day after my mother died. But I went to him, I went to the grave, and I woke up to the realization, why him now? Why is it I let my mother and my father off the hook before, but I've been holding out on him? And it tells me, I choose. Consciously or unconsciously, I choose my forgiveness and my unforgiveness. Why did I wait an extra 15 years to let my stepfather off the hook? To have needed him and the way he treated us to be different because of my own obstinance, because I forgot to be kind. I forgot to be kind to myself. I forgot to be kind to him. I forgot to be kind to all who are affected by my unforgiveness. And that's what we have to understand is our unforgiveness spreads far and wide. Just as our forgiveness spreads far and wide. It touches everything and everyone.
And so, in this spirituality that I pursue and seek to practice and live, and I have, uh, some days are easier than others. Studying these ancestors of new thought has made a big difference because I'm finding out how others had success in their practice of their spirituality, and so I seek to experiment with it as a spiritual scientist, which I am, which you are. Do a little dash of this and a little dash of that, and you see what comes up and what happens. You know, uh, so you find your words that bring about the greatest aha, the greatest awakening, so that you can practice this at your best way. And then you can be the example for others. It's like, what happened to you? You're amazing. You were so angry. What happened? You were so indifferent. You were so blasé. What happened? Well, I started praying differently. And uh, I had some, a lot of awakenings. Uh, I find now that uh, resentments that develop are much more short-lived than they used to be because I want to be free of them quickly. I really want to be free of them very, very quickly these days because I've got some wonderful life to experience. There's a lot of good in life to experience and I won't get to experience it if I spend a lot of time in resentment. I won't get to experience the promises of life and love and beauty and wisdom that God has offered, that peace has offered, that life offers. And so it is a great act of kindness for me to work at letting everybody off the hook for the offenses that I have chosen to hold on to. Not the offenses they have done to me, but the offenses that I have chosen to keep. Because I've let a lot of, a lot of other offenses fall right off my shoulders. So I do pick and choose. And uh, you know, something happened the other day that really rankled me and it just pushed all my childhood buttons. And it's like, oh, I spent a whole day in that anger. Just offended and how dare they and but I knew the truth, but I wasn't ready to be kind about it, to be generous of spirit about it. Uh, Ken, it's about the St. David song, We Can Be Kind. I don't think that's going to be a surprise today when he starts it. But at the beginning, it says so many things we can't control, so many things that happen every day. But, but the thing is, the thing that we can control is we can be kind. We can take care of each other. Now, I don't have to come to your house to take care of you. I can be generous in thought and in wisdom. So we're back to right thinking pays large dividends, dividends of peace, sometimes dividends of cash, but dividends of belonging in my body, belonging in my home, belonging in my church, belonging in my job, belonging in my world, belonging at the dinner table, belonging walking down the street. Mrs. Wilcox says, think success, prosperity, usefulness. Every time we entertain thoughts of love, 
sympathy, forgiveness, and faith. We add to the well-being of the world and create fortunate and successful conditions for ourselves and all beings. And she says, those may be late in coming to us, but they will come. You know, there are some that not, they're not quite ready to join us on our path of the spirituality. But if we are in integrity, they will come. So it is our responsibility. Let there be peace in earth. Let it begin with us. Because uh, we're willing. And because somebody might just want what we have. And we don't want to be masking what we have. Kindness is our generosity to our world. And we are part of our world. Be kind. Be willing that all beings thrive in love. Thank you. Thank you.